Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Ryan Nystrom. Ryan is an iOS engineer at Instagram, where he focuses on app infrastructure in New York City. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, Garrick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Uh, I've only done like one or two other podcasts before, so maybe a little bit nervous, but I think it'll be fun. So this is my like 60th something episode, and wow. I always get nervous. It's, <laughs> and, but to me, it's like this energy, this excitement. And what I try to do is just channel that into a conversation with my guest. And so that's why the first question a lot of the times is, how's it going? How are you feeling? Because uh, we can sort of break that ice by by saying what, what you just said. Like, actually, I'm kind of nervous. or this is humbling. <laughs> we can share our feelings and then we can uh, sort of calm down together. <laughs> Very soothing voice, too. What were the other podcasts you were on? Um, I've done some recording for Ray Wenderlich before. Oh, cool. Um, and then I've done just some quick spots on, oh boy, it's not good that I can't remember it. But the majority of the recording that we've done before was for Ray. Um, we did for their their conference that he hosts every spring. Yeah, RW um, DevCon. Yeah, we made some of the sessions available online. And I think there was a mix up with my audio during the session. So I actually came home and that's actually the reason I have some decent equipment here it's like audio technica mic that i pulled out had cobwebs on it um yeah you sound good yeah thank you uh so it was like a overdub for like a video or something well we essentially turned the the presentation from the conference into a screencast oh okay cool nice that's fun i've never been to rw devcon have you actually been there before yeah i i presented the first two years um it's an extremely different type of conference. The the normal conferences I'm used to, uh, obviously Dub Dub, but 360i Dev, um, Singleton, NS North, they're all kind of the the go to sessions, do some presentation networking. style. Yeah, just just presentations, maybe like one or two workshops. R W DevCon. If if people aren't familiar with RayWinterlick.com. If you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're familiar with that. that yeah, website. we talk about it a lot. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's a tutorial website, and Ray kind of wanted to bring that energy and that style to a, a conference. So you actually go to sessions, and the sessions themselves are tutorial based, where you would have a little bit of a presentation, kind of an overview, and then the the sessions turn into basically a, a lab or a workshop where you'll follow along with the presenter. There'll be parts where you'll work by yourself and the presenter walks around and helps you with stuff. Um, it's actually, it's, it's really fun. I, I think one of the, the big advantages of this conference is that you actually leave having done something and like gotten a hands-on, um, gotten hands-on with some sort of new tool or technology um, versus other conferences where you hear about things, but, you know, maybe, maybe you're on your phone or you don't remember all of it and, and you leave and don't totally grasp the subject. But at race conference, I think you actually, 
you you really leave knowing how to do something or at least knowing getting some exposure to how to do something. What years did you uh, attend and participate and lead and what were your sessions? So I went in, I think that was 2015, which was the very first year that Ray did it. Um, and then, or maybe it was 2014. No, it was definitely 2015. And then I think again in 2016, and this was the first year that I, I wasn't able to attend. Uh, my most recent session was actually on um, 3D Touch APIs, which were still a little new um, in the spring of 16. And I was really excited to go into the session. We, we built a pretty cool app, um, almost like a Slack-ish app. Uh, like, you know, you, you, you were only there for an hour and a half, but you ended up leaving, kind of building um, 3D Touch into this whole chat app. I thought it was really neat. What I didn't think about was that to attend and work through the app, you know, remember this was before the new MacBook Pros with Force Touch were even out. Oh, wow. um, you basically had to have a phone with 3D Touch because without Force Touch on the trackpad, you couldn't use the simulator. There were no workarounds. And not everybody has one, of course. Yeah. So unfortunately, I, I think I only had like of the like 300 attendees, I think only like 20 or something attended my my session, which was a little bit of a bummer. But uh, I realized after the fact that like, like oh, duh, like nobody's got the the new phone uh, four months after it's been released. That's uh, kind of a luxury nowadays. You're so cutting edge, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. So a little bit about how Ryan and I met. We've technically never met <clears throat> in person yep. before, correct? Yep, that's right. And I think the way that you and I got connected was through IG List Kit. <clears throat> I think when you guys announced it, um, I had already kind of interacted with Jesse before, Jesse Squires. Yep. I think he, he kind of worked on it or something. Excuse me. <coughs> wow. Hmm, not sure where that came from. <laughs> And uh, so I think he maybe mentioned something and then I asked him, I was like on Twitter, I was like, oh, pretty cool. Like, have you worked with it at all? And I don't know, I'm kind of still new at that at this time. At that time, I was like still a little new to open source. I didn't even think I could like go and see who created it. And, and I think you <laughs> messaged back. You replied on Twitter like, yeah, he's the actual like he's the one that created it or something like that. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah. Jesse was kind of my like uh, co-author um, on a lot of it, especially dealing with the actual open sourcing of it. Uh, Jesse was like my lifeline. <laughs> yeah. And I think I saw a video of you. Did, what, what, did you present a video at Swiss Summit or did I just see a video of you presenting somewhere like on IG List Kit? Yeah, I, I actually did almost kind of like a speaking tour uh, in the fall of last year, a couple talks before we released the framework, and then a few talks after. So yeah, there's a there's a couple recordings. I know um, my favorite, I think, was at the TriSwift conference that uh, Natasha, the robot, hosted here in New York um, okay. of last year. That's that probably was, what that, I saw. Yeah, and I think Realm like transcribed it and everything. It was it was really cool. It came out really really cool. Okay, so I think I saw that video, and then I interacted with Jesse, and then you replied, and so that's how we sort of got connected. And then from you know, then I started following you on Instagram and or you know on Twitter. I mean, and then 
whatever we're kind of connecting back and forth who knows what different types of you know you know following each other whatever and then um i think you started doing the whole GitHub thing maybe i'm not sure but at some point i feel like i started seeing you more um, yeah because of ig list kit and then maybe GitHub. i'm not sure yeah, I, I definitely when I started the uh, when I started all of the GitHawk stuff, I, I I started to get louder. I think just because yeah. I I was I I wanted this to be kind of almost like a social experiment that I would almost live tweet building an app, um, and I'm still kind of doing it, and people are still following me, so I guess it's not too annoying. <laughs> I think it's just really motivating to see you know people producing work and also having the time and energy to share. Uh, share it um, and that's really inspiring for for those that don't know a little bit of background so like ig list kit is i, I want why don't you kind of explain it in just like a quick little you know blurb sort of sure so ig list kit is is really just uh, a data abstraction layer for collection view so if you've worked with collection view before you've probably had to wire up data sources and delegates and you might have arrays of data that power the number of sections or the number of items in a collection view. And a lot of collection views start off with just one type of cell, and then slowly over time, you're adding different cells and different types of sections. You can use enums and custom data types, and through, through my years of experience, I've learned that that gets really out of hand really fast. So. At Instagram, it was kind of the exact same story. Um, and what we decided to do was build this abstraction layer that allowed you to convert data into what we call section controllers, which are almost mini view controllers, um, which then decide what cells appear in the section. Um, and kind of the core of, of the entire framework is this diffing algorithm that as soon as data changes, you can start an update and then the diffing algorithm will decide what is deleted, inserted, and needs moved or up refreshed. Um, and, and then everything kind of animates on the screen. But I think while I think it's, it's awesome, I, one of the things I'm really proud of is that at, at its very core, you still are just using a UI collection view. Mm. So still using collection view cells and you can animate them and write your own layouts. Um, <clears throat> or use any of the other UI kit features like uh, refresh control or any of that stuff. Rad. And so this is a pretty big project that you guys use internally at Instagram, correct? And you've open sourced it. Yeah, that's right. We we use it all over the app, um, which has been an awesome success story. Cool. So it's being used and tested by you know hundreds of millions of people kind of every day, which is exciting and, and terrifying at the same wow, time. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so then the other sort of um, the other project that you started working on, which I feel like brought brought us closer together in the sense of I'm following you and getting excited about you know who you are and the work that you're doing, was GitHawk. So give us a quick little blurb on that one as well. Sure, GitHawk actually came out of open sourcing IG ListKit, where the the project itself is is relatively popular. It's not as popular as humongous projects like. Um, Node or React, but it still has a decent amount of traffic for myself and for Jesse to maintain. And in maintaining that project, I found that answering 
uh, GitHub notifications on the go was kind of a huge pain in the neck. So what I wanted to do was just build this really lightweight app that would let me see my notifications and, and respond to them. It made me do some sort of actioning, like labeling stuff or closing issues that are duplicates or whatever. And in doing that, I got kind of excited about this idea of doing it all in the open and using IG List Kit to build the app. So it's a little bit meta that I'm using IG List Kit to build an app to help me manage uh, IG List Kit. Awesome. But the app itself is is really just kind of a, a very lightweight GitHub client that lets you see your notifications, mark them red, and then read issues and pull requests, leave comments, um, just so you can at least take some sort of action and, and respond to people. Cool. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background on how Ryan and I got connected. I just kind of wanted to put that out there so you guys knew. Uh, and uh, But what I want to do now is learn about who you are, how you got to where you are. Um, but first, let's talk about like what what you're up to right now. Like, What is life like for you? You're in New York, I'm, I'm guessing, let's say Manhattan or wherever you're living, and you work at Instagram, there's an office there. Can you just describe like what your life is like um, now? Sure. It's it's definitely a little crazy right now. I, I moved to New York City from the Bay Area about a year and a half ago. Um, we're living in the East Village in Manhattan, and Facebook's got an office right around Union Square, which is kind of in between East and West Village. It's sort of the middle of Manhattan, if you're not too familiar with it. Um, so I work at Instagram on an app infrastructure team um, that's growing very rapidly. And so we're kind of dealing with trying to build up this team and bring new people on um, and take on even bigger and bigger projects. And when I talk about app infrastructure, it's still writing Objective-C code. It's still dealing with iOS frameworks. But instead of building features and stuff that you might see or there might be big press releases or anything, we're building frameworks and things that are a little bit under the hood, things like IG List Kit um, and optimizing networking and performance issues and trying to remove crashes and those sort of things. So are you working on like lots of sort of private pods or maybe you're using Carthage or something? Is that is that what your guys are up to? Basically, yeah. We've got a lot of internal frameworks and dependencies. We use this this dependency manager that Facebook open source called Buck. Um, oh, Buck. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's essentially uh, our in, our version of CocoaPods that lets us have internal frameworks and stuff linked to things. And then it takes care of the project generation and, and all of that stuff. So we don't have to deal with merge conflicts on big, messy Xcode project files. I heard it, Buck can also help manage compile times, like uh, somehow speed up compile times with like a shared... Uh, compile farm or something like that it does it it's probably one of the most magical to me it's kind of black magic uh features of it because app, apps the size of facebook and instagram which are humongous apps uh in just terms of like lines of code they take forever to compile um and one of the great things that buck does is it distributes well you have all of these kind of distributed dependencies and if those dependencies don't change you know say you've got a dependency on like af networking or something if that dependency doesn't change you don't need to recompile it in fact if you haven't compiled it or there's a version of it that has changed and um 
you you haven't compiled it locally, but it hasn't you haven't been making changes to it. Bucket itself can actually go out to this distributed cache and download this version of a pre-compiled framework. And then that download is going to be way, way faster on our internal networks than actually having to build the framework from scratch. That's super cool. I, I'm at Farmers, a coworker, Christian mentioned Buck when we were complaining about compile times in our Swift project. But I think uh, at the time, Buck didn't support Swift or it was sort of, it was, it was kind of a gray area. Do you know what the status of that is? I know they're making advancements with it. One of the biggest tricky parts was um, I think you couldn't use uh, static libraries with Swift, but in Xcode 9, I believe that's fixed. So I know the the Buck team in, is super excited about Xcode 9 coming out. Okay, so you are working in New York, living in the East Village. You're at Instagram, doing app infrastructure. You're making all these uh private frameworks, private libraries uh, for your team, uh, which then, you know, are used at Instagram. I love creating um, reusable code, like, you know, frameworks. Like yeah. to me, that's some of the my favorite stuff. It's really, really fun. The fact that like you can make something that can be reused in different, different places. Uh, I did a little bit of that uh, at Farmers, learned how to create um, my own CocoaPod with Podlib Create and uh, host like a, my own private pod, you know, with a private pod spec and pod, uh, spot, pod spec repo and all that. Yeah. Really, really fun. Uh, okay. And uh, so, so give us a little bit more about your, you know, are you, do you walk to work? Do you bike to work? Like, what are you up to? Like, I don't know. Tell me about your, how do you feel on your, you're on your way to work? Are you, you know, the rain and the, and the sun <laughs> and you're smiling and I'm just painting us a little picture. Uh, how, how do you feel? You walk into work and, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, for a little bit of backstory, I, I lived in Redwood city when we were out in California, uh, when I first started at Instagram and in downtown Redwood city, they have these, these arches over some of their main roads that say, Climate best by government tests. And that's sort of like the one of the city's like mantras. And I don't think it was like a real scientific study, but they're they're very proud, they're very well known of how good the weather is. It's like low 70s, almost year-round, always sunny. And when we first were looking to move to New York to to help start this office. The very first day that we're here looking at apartments, it's overcast, it's <laughs> raining, it's wet, there's garbage. And my wife and I looked at each other and we're just like, what are we getting into? <laughs> and I still look back and I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, Redwood City is so beautiful. But one of the things I think that I started to take for granted was um, that that good, well, what I took for granted was that good weather. Because now in New York, it's actually an incredible day right now. It feels earned that I've battled the heat and the wow. cold and the rain. Um, but that is one of my struggles that uh, I do walk to work. And occasionally it will rain. It will be gross. Um, we've got all these hurricanes going on. So it's bringing sort of weird weather all over the United States. And if I'm not lucky, then I'm going to get caught in a torrential downpour and be soaking wet. Uh, thankfully we have showers. So if I, if I know that's going to happen, I'll bring a, ch a change of clothes and I'll, I'll be able to change. So my coworkers don't have to look at me sitting swampy in my desk <laughs> next to them. Nice showers at the office. That's cool. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I hope, well, I, I guess thank you for giving us your uh, your day, a part of your day. You said the weather's really good out today. So thank you for giving us a little bit of your time, uh, taking you away from that good weather. <laughs> um, okay. So you painted a really, really nice picture for us. And so now I want to know like how you got to where you are. Um, to me, of course, look, we all have um, really great days and we all have you know, kind of bad days, but it sounds like you've built a really nice, um, you know, life uh, for yourself. And so I want to know like, how you got to where you are and and did you always sort of envision this? Was this your plan or did it kind of just happen? And so let's start with um, your earliest memory of programming. <laughs> My earliest memory of programming was in high school. Uh, we were we were required in our algebra classes to have these TI Texas instrument, um, TI 83 calculators that they, they do stuff like they, they let you plot graphs. They show you visual stuff, um, can do more advanced mathematics on them. But one of the things I discovered was that they had a very basic, um, like programming language. Uh, and, and I say basic, like they've, it's just like go to statements and if statements. And that was about it. And you, I don't even think there were while loops or for loops in it. You would have to do like ifs and go tos, uh, or jumps. Um, so it was really primitive, but I, I would be going through my math classes and the, these homework assignments would come up where we'd have to learn about a formula and constantly repeat it by hand over and over on paper and I was using the calculator and I was like, wait a minute, like I can, I could write a program for this. And then when I go to my, my math class or, or I'm going to uh, take a test, well, I've just got the program on my calculator. I can punch in some numbers and it'll give me the answer and I don't have to spend a bunch of time writing it. Wow. And what that actually evolved into, I was really into video games while I was in high school. And I was like, well, if I can write programs to do math equations, I could write programs to like play games and I started building little games <laughs> on my calculator. And my favorite one that I, I built was a toilet paper simulator <laughs> where you, it was sort of like a, um, like a mud. Um, I think that's right. Is that the, like the textual RPG ish, um, simulator? Sure where you would go and, and you would collect money and resources. And if you got enough money, then you could buy a bunch of toilet paper and, and go toilet paper, the gym teacher's house or something. What? Yeah, it, it was, it was really kind of bizarre. And my, my highlight of it was actually using a bunch of like backslashes, minus signs and zeros to do a toilet paper animation of it, like <laughs> flying across the screen. Um, and, and I would start like, uh, I, I tried to like start selling these games to all of my like friends and stuff, but then bugs popped up and I quickly kind of shut the whole thing down. I guess that was my, like my first startup. <laughs> how do you get the games on? Like, let's say you make a game. How do I get your game on my calculator? I don't remember. There, there were these little cables. Um, I, I forget the size, you know, they're smaller than like an auxiliary cable, but you could connect to, calculators together and then do some really simple data transfer um, okay. and transfer programs between each other. I just remember having like a Mafia Wars game or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So does that mean like someone like you made that game? Like just some, you know, some young high school kid? Or I wonder who made Mafia Wars. That or would whatever be my bet. Called. Yeah, wow. I don't think it's going to be like EA or anything making Mafia Wars on the TI-83. But who knows? They've kind of invaded everything else. So did do you know if Toilet uh, Toilet Toilet Wars ever <laughs> made it all the way to... Uh, well, where were you born? Uh, I, I grew up, well, I was born in, in St. Louis, Missouri, but when I was real young, I moved to Dayton, Ohio. Um, and I spent the first, like, really the first kind of like 20 years of my life, 20, 25 years of my life in, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, I went down to Cincinnati, Ohio to go to school for computer science. Um, and then when I graduated, I moved up to Columbus, which is the capital of Ohio, go Buckeyes for about three years okay so you're a midwest pretty much born and raised born and raised yep okay i wonder if uh toilet wars ever got you know <laughs> its way to the west coast i wonder if oh, anybody I, ever played it i don't think it made its way out of dayton ohio i'm almost okay. confident okay so you have this calculator and you're noticing that you can program it like did you kind of just discover that by yourself or was there someone around you uh, that kind of you were working with or that encouraged you or I mean how does somebody just because I had that same calculator you know but that never occurred to me so like do you know what there what it was was it just you and the way you are or was there something else you think that like you know what I mean I, I think it was definitely I think it was really just kind of me I I'm always looking for for the shortest path whenever I'm traveling if I'm driving or walking um, and for me, the when I realized that I could program these math equations, it just made perfect sense. Like, why am I going to spend five minutes writing through or going through all this like linear algebra or whatever I was doing and trying to plot stuff when I could just plug in an A, a B, and then get some sort of output that took like two seconds. And to me, Where it just like think- was a no brainer. Where do you think that comes from? Have you just always been that way? Or where do you think you get that um, sort of that desire and that awareness um, to sort of do things smartly? Uh, That's a great question. You know, when I was growing up, I don't think I was ever really the best at anything. Uh, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, but was always junior varsity. Could never really bump it up into varsity. And I think for me, I had this kind of drive to be good at something and and to to try and find that thing that really stuck and for me um math but then um computers uh really kind of hit home playing playing lots of video games trying to min max different characters or or gear or whatever in the video game and then the same with kind of class and and school trying to like figure out how to how to become like really good really efficient uh at, at this uh at whatever i was learning was there any computer talk or computer programming around the house dad mom brother sister aunt uncle friends or were you sort of the only you know person cheering yourself on with this computer <laughs> i was I, I don't want to give I don't want to say my parents weren't cheering me on, but they definitely saw that I was spending a lot of time on the computer ever since we got like our Gateway 3000 um, in the 90s. I installed Starcraft, the very first version, and I was playing it nonstop. Um, and we only had a, a landline at the time. And so whenever I was on the Internet, 
nobody could use the phone. And, and we frequently <laughs> fought about that. My, my parents are both physicians um, and they're very much into the, the practical science and, and biology. And for me to be on a screen playing games 24-7 was, you know, was not super productive. But when I, when I decided to go to school for computer science and then started actually building things, things that were um, a little original and, and unique, I think that's when it, the light bulb kind of went off. And my parents thought, oh, okay, he's actually not wasting all of his time. So did you continue your interest in computer programming throughout high school? And it sounds like you decided to get a degree in computer science in college. Yeah, exactly. I, I did some really basic kind of like intro to HTML classes when I was in high school. Um, and, and I really wanted to go to school and, and do computer science to be able to build and make video games. That was really my drive. I, I loved World of Warcraft. I loved Counter-Strike. I thought, I'm going to be, I'm going to work on a team that builds something like this. Um, and in the couple, my first couple years at, at the university, I started hearing all these horror stories of working in the video games industry. And, and I kind of pivoted from there and, and thought, well, I'll, I'll do something a little bit more practical. I mean, I, I started off doing a lot of web-based stuff, building really simple websites, blogs, messing with WordPress, trying to build my own CMS, um, and, and finally kind of found my way into working on mobile when I was doing an internship at a company and we had a, a client that wanted us to make a couple updates to an iOS app. And this was, I think, iOS 3. And they had this app that was missing a couple of form fields. And me being the lowly intern would do kind of the grunt work and, and figure out how to add a couple UI text fields to this form, move stuff around. And uh, then I was hooked. Was this after you, uh, I'm assuming you graduated, was this after you graduated college that you started working as an intern? It was while I was uh, in school. I went to the University of Cincinnati, and it, it's a computer science engineering degree, but it's a five-year program instead of a four-year, and we have a mandatory one and a half years of internships, or they call it co-ops, while you're in school. So instead of graduating in four years with maybe a couple summer internships, you graduate with in five years, but you've got one and a half years of internship experience. Um, and the blessing of doing that for me was that I was able to go through school. And when I graduated, I had been exposed to uh, some .NET desktop applications, uh, working on with JavaScript, PHP, a lot of web stuff. Um, and then had landed on iOS, and for some reason that that actually really stuck. Uh, and I didn't even have an iPhone at the time, but I was just kind of enamored by this weird language with all of its brackets, and the idea of building some software that was running on a phone in somebody's pocket in their hand, something that they can actually touch and interact with directly, touch you know right underneath your finger, and not moving a, a mouse or pointer or dealing with a keyboard. It was kind of this magical uh, draw for me. So you didn't have an iPhone at the time. Uh, it sounds like that was your first experience programming for the iPhone. Um, like why? So, so you, it wasn't on your radar, you're saying? Like you it, just kind of lucked out. It wasn't. Um, it, it, as a matter of fact, one of my best friends in school, she, she bought the first gen iPhone. And we had a co-op right next to each other. 
and we would get lunch and she would show me this phone and she would pull stuff up on Safari and be like, this is so cool. It's going to completely change everything. And I would pull out my Blackberry and be like, yeah, but <laughs> where are the keys? It, you know, where's the mouse? I've got this little tiny wheel on my Blackberry. Like that iPhone is really stupid. And <laughs> when our university bookstore got its first iPad, I, I thought, oh, this is dumb. Apple's just trying to take everybody's money, but I'll go. I'll go to the bookstore and I'll play with it. I'll try and see what all the hype's about. And I was in that bookstore for like a half hour and it just, I, I just completely got stuck to it. And being on like a really poor college student's budget, I pulled out my debit card and I bought one uh, first gen like a week after it was announced because I, I thought it was just magical. Um, And I took it home and, and started, I didn't start with, objective C off the bat, I started building kind of websites and and web apps that you could save to your home screen. Right. So at what point do you realize like, okay, this is, this is awesome. This is serious. I'm a computer programmer. I can program this iPad or this iPhone and this is what I want to do. Wow. That's a good question. I'm trying to think about what that moment was for me. I know for sure at my very last co-op, um, I, I kind of became like the iOS maintainer and any sort of updates that we had, I, I would do the maintenance to those projects. We never actually built an app from scratch, which was kind of disappointing for me, but I created, I started working on and created my very first app before I graduated from school. And I was really into this, this sport of longboarding, which is skateboarding, but with a a longer board. And usually you're going down hills and kind of going fast. And we always had to search all around Cincinnati, kind of the greater Cincinnati area for the best hills. And it was kind of a pain in the butt to remember where they were, uh, know how long they were and be able to like send them to friends. So I thought, man, this would be, this would be an app. This is, I could, pull pull this app up in my pocket I could record going down a hill then I could save that and then I could send it to a friend um and so I I built that it took me almost a year it is easily the most garbage code I have ever (laughs) written uh it was backed by parse I called it skatebook of course did you ship it though I did I did there you go I shipped that in, I think, February of 2012 after working on it almost a year while I was in school. Um, no, barely any downloads. I tried so hard. <laughs> <laughs> the The longboard community in Ohio, not very big, <laughs> maybe like 100 people. Uh, and then they all had to have iPhones. So it didn't really take off, but it, it was a big accomplishment for me. Um, I mean, the, the app connected to a, a server at displayed a whole bunch of data. I had to draw overlays on, on maps. Um, for first step, you know, it, it was a heck of a lot more than a to-do list. So do you think that maybe that experience, that year of building something uh, with your skills and your interests um, that also connected your hobby, you know, of your yeah. longboarding, do you think that, may, that maybe really got you going and really interested? Yeah, I think, I think that's what, what really kind of locked it in for me was um, starting this app, building it, thinking about the design, using it myself, um, and then shipping it to the store and, and trying to make it take off. And I, I just loved, I loved the whole process. Um, 
the app felt performant. It felt fun. Um, and I, I just like, I wanted to, to do this on a bigger scale and, and do it with serious things that, that people would use. So have you been working in iOS, um, since like your whole sort of professional career? Like, did you go straight to Instagram after the co-op or what did you do? No, I, I worked in, uh, two companies while I was still in Ohio and I, I joined the first one as an iOS developer and that that company didn't work out too well for me. I, I didn't feel super challenged. I didn't feel like there was enough work for me to do. Um, and I was kind of the only iOS person, so I, I would have to learn stuff myself. Um, so I left that company after a few months and I joined another company in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. And this was an agency where we were we would take take on different clients, build websites, apps whatever they needed, ship them, and then sometimes try and keep maintaining it, but more often try to go find new clients, new projects, um, and kind of rinse and repeat. And so I did that in kind of a mixed iOS um, and web developer role for about two years. And then at what point did you join Instagram? So it was about the summer of 2014, I was kind of at a, a place uh, in my career where I, I felt like the smartest person in the room, the, the smartest iOS person, and, and was, again, teaching myself techniques and, and strategies and tools, and I felt a little lonely. And what I worried about was that I was still in my mid-20s and didn't really, I didn't really see myself growing a lot. And I looked around and I saw companies like Facebook and Apple releasing all of this awesome software, either closed or open source. And I was like, man, I want to be in a world like that. Yeah. And I started doing a bunch of open source by myself. Um, what I would, I, I was addicted to seeing these, like these animated graphics on dribble.com where people would create some cool UI element, like a modal or a slider um, or some sort of like menu. And I would, I would see those and think, man, that's really cool. But I, I know somebody's just making that in like Photoshop or after effects. Yeah. It's an animation. Yeah. It's to me, it's like, that's so cool, but it's not real. And I, I sort of took that as a challenge to make it real. And I would kind of, I would watch dribble. I would sort by the most popular stuff in the last like week or month and if I saw some sort of UI component stand out that I, I thought I could build, I would create a new GitHub repo and then I would try and build it. Um, wow. And I had a couple of projects that, that um, back in 2014, 2000, maybe even th 2013, um, you know, the iOS open source world was not very big. CocoaPods wasn't a thing. And wow. some of these projects I put out got a little bit of attention. Um, and I was excited and I felt like I was learning and I think it caught somebody's attention at, at Facebook. Um, I had a, a friend who saw this work and kind of put in a good word and said, you know, told re the recruiting team, hey, you should talk to this Ryan guy. He's doing a lot of cool stuff that, that we're also doing. Um, and they reached out and within like two weeks I had flown out to California, gone through an interview, received an offer and accepted it. 
It, wow. it was kind of like a lightning process as soon as, as they started talking to me. That's so great. I mean, you set out to do something um, sort of for your own reasons, really. Um, you saw these things on Dribbble and you wanted to make them actually usable. Uh, and that turned into uh, something that got you, uh, you know, the position where you're at now. I love that kind of stuff. You know, people, for instance, talk about networking. Go network. Yeah, yeah. Go network. yeah. But it's like, it's not really about networking. You know, it's about meeting people and building relationships. So for you, it wasn't like you set out to like get attention on purpose and then that right. would lead to a job at Instagram. It was this really natural, organic thing. Right. And I, I, I think one of the most important things was that I, I was enjoying it and I yeah. would use my, my own stuff. And the the same goes for, for networking. I think it's kind of a bummer if, if you're putting yourself out there with the intention that, oh, this person that I'm going to meet, I don't really care about them or our relationship. I want to I want to extract some value from them. Um, and I think that's not a very healthy way to go about meeting people. I think we should enjoy meeting and talking, making friends and, and memories and learning things from each other. And um, I think organically opportunities will, will start to surface if, if you kind of go about it like that. Yeah, that's definitely how it, how it happened for me uh, in terms of building relationships that end up becoming this kind of networking thing that then lead to um, literally me getting uh, a job and, uh, and and another job, which I might tell you guys about soon. Uh, <clears throat> so you are at Instagram. You've been there since 2014, sounds like. Yep, yep. Uh, so looking back uh, on, you know, where you've been and where you are now, how do you feel? I, f I feel really good. It's It's been a pretty wild ride. Um, Having joined out and having joined Instagram out in California, um, worked on uh, worked on the iOS team when I think it it was as small as like eight people or so, um, which which I should say is is probably a large iOS team for a lot of folks, but for for Facebook at the time it's it very small and for Instagram compared to now being probably over seventy iOS engineers is really really small. Mm -hmm. um, to, to work on some product teams uh, on Instagram to start our iOS infrastructure team while we were still in California and then to move that team to New York City and, and turn it into, take it from a team of, of four engineers to a team, four being both iOS and Android, to a team now of probably about 40 or 50 iOS and Android engineers. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's really crazy. Uh, but it's been really exciting and, and I've learned a lot. And the exciting part for me is that there's still so much to do and there's so much to change and there's so much to learn that, uh, for me, I see so much potential to, to keep things going and, and, you know, our, our work is not finished and I don't, I don't think it'll ever be finished, which for me is, is good because that means I'm going to learn a lot more stuff. Is it an interesting story why you guys moved to New York? Um, not super interesting. I think I, off, Facebook's had an office here in New York forever. And I think Instagram was just kind of missing out more or less. Um, okay. what, what made it, what, why our team moved, our team had, had fairly senior engineers, but being an infrastructure team, you know, you're, you're not so dependent on product managers and designers and, and having meeting with 
all these product teams and stuff, you're kind of more focused on the engineering stuff, um, you know, all together in, in your little infrastructure group. So that made us really uh, autonomous and modular. So it was really easy for us to move to New York, but we still had a bunch of really talented senior people. So they knew kind of how Instagram worked and they were really able to set the office up for success. Rad. Well, um, I hope all is, is going well out there. And uh, yeah, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, what I want to do now is take a quick break to have a couple announcements. And uh, we're going to do this, uh, something a little interesting. I've never done this before live uh, during a recording. Uh, we're going to have a guest come on. But before we do that, I want to talk about new patrons. So I have a Patreon page where people are able to support the work that I'm doing with SwiftCoders.org. Um, and we actually do a lot. Uh, so I just wanted to thank my new patrons, Mike Garvin. Uh, I believe he and I have been chatting for a while on, um, on Twitter. Um, yeah, he messaged me saying I'm a new aspiring Swift programmer and I think your podcast is great. Thank you so much. Um, it's really, really cool. I get messages like this all the time. Um, so yeah, thank you, Mike, uh, for your support. Uh, Ronald Sala, uh, also thank you so much. And Guy Dar. Uh, so I was on like a little vacation, like four week vacation. Uh, and I, you know, I was off the grid for a while and I got internet and I saw that I had three new patrons and I thought that was really cool. I, uh, <clears throat> I realize now that the Patreon stuff that I'm doing, like the rewards, it might be a little bit too much work for me. Uh, so I think I might end up changing uh, some of the rewards. Uh, if you guys have any feedback, uh, please let me know. Um, uh, I might even just kind of stop the Patreon thing or maybe just make the rewards like really simple because it's kind of too much work for the benefit that I'm getting. Um, so we'll see. So, hey, guys, thank you so much for your support. Um, and as I was saying, SwiftCoders.org, uh, the things that we, uh, the things that we do. Uh, one new thing that I want to announce is uh, the Swift Coders Network of Podcasts. And so, what this is, um, we now have two uh, new podcasts. Uh, in addition to the Swift Coders podcast, we have Fireside Swift, uh, that is with Stephen Berard and uh, Zach Falgout. Uh, Steven is one of the main core team members at uh, Swift Coders, running Learn Swift LA here in, here in uh, LA, doing it almost like at least once a month, if not more, at Santa Monica in a, at Event Farm. Um, so he and Zach, who I believe lives in Texas, uh, Zach kind of just joined Swift Coders Slack team and really started chatting with everybody. He and, he and uh, Steven became kind of friends online. So they started Fireside Swift. And what they do is uh, they put a couple logs on the fire, as they say, and they have a very just fun back and forth chit chat uh, with a lot of jokes um, about, you know, kind of general concepts, but they usually focus on one topic in particular. And then there's like just a little bit of tangents and things like that. So if you like comedy uh, in the industry that you're interested in, this is a really good uh, podcast for you. Uh, and then the next uh, podcast is called The Learn Swift Podcast. Uh, and this is by Stephen Sherry. Uh, and we're going to have Stephen uh, come on uh, in a second to explain a little bit about it. Um, but I just wanted to talk. Uh, actually, let me, let, me, let me have him come on and we can kind of talk together. Um, let me just send him the link. Uh, I'm going to send him the TriCast link. And then let's see if we can get him to join 
Uh, I've never done this before live like this. Uh, when I was in Armenia, I kind of did something similar, uh, but not so much live, like recording with a guest and then sending the link. Um, so hopefully he can come on and his audio is not too bad. But yeah, so the impetus uh, with the Learn Swift podcast is that um, at our Learn Swift meetups, particularly LA, uh, we have about 15 minutes at the beginning where we go around the room and we answer three questions. You know, what's your name? What's your background? And why are we here? Why are you here? Steven? How's it going? Hey, how's it going? You are on live with me and Ryan Nystrom. Uh, Ryan okay. works at Instagram. Uh, and we're, I was just explaining the, about the Learn Swift podcast and why it exists and what it's about. So why don't you give us a, just a little bit of a, a blurb, like a maybe one, two minute blurb on it? Well, I'm a beginner to Swift and iOS development. Um, and I don't really have anyone around here that I know. And there's no meetups for me to talk to. And what I do is I reach out to other new Swift and iOS developers, and we get together and talk about their struggles, what they're working on, what their goals are, and things like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I've met a lot of cool people so far. How many episodes have you done so far? Uh, I've published four episodes. I have five recorded, and that will be published next, this coming Thursday. And who would you say is the ideal listener for this, uh, this show? Anyone like me, you know, someone that has been developing on their own and doesn't really have anybody to reach out to. Uh, it's kind of hard to know what kind of struggles other people are going through, because when you look online, you see people that seem to have it like all together. You know what I mean? <laughs> or uh, yeah, they, they it seems like that they figured it you out. You might feel stupid. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like you like you can feel stupid just sitting in front of Xcode or whatever editor that you're working with and just not get your head wrapped around it and think, oh, look, all these people have all these great polished apps out there and I'm sitting here struggling with, I don't know, strings or something, you know, so. Yeah, that's it, great. It, it, yeah. So uh, when's the next episode uh, being published? The next episode will be published on Thursday, the date. Next Thursday, this coming Thursday. Next Thursday, yeah. Okay, great. So then this episode that we're recording right now is going to go live before then. So maybe you can give us a little sneak peek on who uh, who we're going to be listening to in that episode. The, the next gentleman is actually, his name is Terry Torres. And he is a, I'm going to butcher his job title, <laughs> but he, he is a colonial... Um, historical tour guide oh so my he goes, gosh yeah so he he's from he's from boston and he he goes he takes people down uh tours on the freedom trail so he plays paul revere's brother i believe if i remember <laughs> correctly yeah and he he's a theater guy and he's been learning swift and ios development for about two years he started with objective c we kind of touched on that a little bit and he's got a couple apps uh one of his apps is a shakespeare database so you can look up any kind of shakespeare uh, like monologues and whatnot based on some kind of theme that you're interested in, like adultery or um, loss or so, stuff like that. It's, it's interesting. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Stephen. I just wanted to let you know um, that you're doing an excellent job. Um, on my way home from uh, my little road trip, I was listening to Jay Mutsafi, I believe his last name is, um, mm -hmm. episode. 
And I also listened to Mark Alpont's episode on the way up uh, for my for my road trip. And you're doing an excellent job. I really believe that this content um, is going to help people, uh, as you said, that are like you. Um, just a heads up with this um, show. Um, we're not sure exactly how it's going to evolve. But for instance, as Stephen becomes more advanced, uh, he might move on uh, to something more like the Swift Coders podcast, for instance. And so it could be the case that we'll have a new host. Um, but uh, that's really ultimately up to Stephen. So Stephen, thank you so much uh, for, for you know, me- meeting the challenge, you know, standing up. Uh, we had the idea to do this podcast and uh, you stood up and said you want to do it and you've been executing really well. And I truly believe that it's going to help people and already is helping people. So good job and, and keep up the good work. And thank you so much. I'll talk with you later. All right. Bye. Yeah, so um, as I was saying, uh, the Learn Swift podcast, really cool. Uh, we have we meet in person in real space, um, you know, with our meetups, but people can't come to these meetups. And so what we're trying to do with this podcast is give people that same experience, um, but through through audio. Um, yeah, so please, if you think that uh, this might be something you're interested in, or if you know someone that might be interested in it, um, to have a listen or share it with a friend. Uh, all right, so I think that is all for um, for those kind of announcements. Um, uh, going back to the SwiftCoders.org and what we do, uh, we also do Learn Swift City, and I think we're up to fifteen meetups all around the world. Uh, I think one of the last ones that got created maybe was Cincinnati. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, and I think we have a, a new one coming up pretty soon, working with somebody. Uh, that wants to start Learn Swift Salt Lake City, Utah. But if you're out there and you want to create a meetup in your hometown, uh, reach out to us and we will help you. Uh, we have a starter guide, a bunch of people that are uh, willing to give you advice and help you start a meetup. And uh, last announcement, which is going to feed right into the next topic uh, with our guest Ryan, is that on Monday, uh, which uh, when this goes live, it'll it'll have already passed. I am starting as an iOS engineer at Tinder. Yes, in West Hollywood here in my, my home state, my home sort of town. Uh, I took the position maybe like four weeks ago and I t- went on a four-week road trip and vacation and I'm starting at Tinder on Monday. So I'm really, really excited. I'm breaking the news uh, first for you guys here on the podcast. So wish me luck. And with that said, I want to talk with Ryan, who's been working at a, you know, one of the largest companies, uh, especially tech companies in the world. Uh, what, what advice do you have for someone like me who is going to be starting at a big tech company uh, for their first day, their first week, uh, their mindset going into this new, exciting, big, important opportunity? <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, congrats. That's incredibly exciting. Uh, I'm sure Thank you. I'm sure you're going to have a blast there. Um, I hope so. I, I think one of my biggest pieces of advice is to is is just be ready to learn. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure that was probably a factor in, in joining a place like Tinder. Um, it was certainly the reason that I joined Facebook and I, I would try I would try to keep an eye out for senior engineers that are approachable and and like teaching people and, and to honestly to kind of just 
cling yourself at their side and learn as much as you can. Um, that that's been one of the most valuable things that, that I've experienced at Facebook. Yeah. And it sounds like you said that was one of the main reasons you wanted to go uh, elsewhere was to like be surrounded by people who were smarter than you or better than you, or at least had different experiences so that you could learn from them. You were kind of feeling like you were always the, I don't know, maybe you, you had a smaller team or something and you, you were still young and you wanted to, yep. uh, to be under people that you could really learn from. And, uh, so yeah, I think that's great advice. Be ready to learn, find, um, the different mentors that you can and ask them for advice, ask them your opinion. One of the things I'm really interested in, um, especially from, from your perspective, uh, is sort of like how to be a successful employee, especially like in a kind of a corporate environment, a corporation. I, you know, working at Farmers for the last year, that was really my first corporate experience. And uh, it was, the conditions were really interesting. Like um, we were in the middle of like this transition, like trying to go from a waterfall company to an agile company. And so it was like already very, um, you know, high seas and like you know, turbulent seas because of that. And so maybe my first corporate experience was kind of um, tainted by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it kind of made me feel like maybe I'm not cut out for the corporate world and to be a, uh, an employee. What does that look like for you? Um, and how do you navigate that? And what advice do you have uh, for someone in that in that sense? Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. That was probably my biggest fear when first joining Facebook was that I'm going to go into this big, stuffy company with thousands of other engineers. I'm going to be a number. I'm just going to be kind of turning turning the gear, and I'm not actually going to make a big impact. And it's completely not true. Um, I've been I've been shocked with how much opportunity I've had to to have impact and, and own parts of the app, systems, uh, ideas. And one of the things, one of the mantras of Facebook is is really to to be bold and to take risks and to really try as much as you can. Um, one of one of the Facebook engineering mottos is this move fast and break things. Well, I think it was right. a motto, and then we decided to do move fast with stable infrastructure because we're breaking too many things. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's a really healthy attitude to have is to not not be afraid to try some new stuff, to take some risks, be because that's the only way that you're going to learn things, and that's the only way that you're going to find um, opportunities of, of stuff to do, ideas, could be frameworks to build or features or new products um, or, or fixes or whatever it might be. And um, I was very apprehensive when I first joined Facebook and I had to kind of break out of my shell a little bit and, and try to try to do stuff, Um, not wait for people to assign me stuff or hand me things, but really kind of aggressively seek out things to do. And, and that's worked out really well. Um, I've, I've made mistakes, I've tripped up, um, but I've learned from them. And that's the, that's the important thing about making any sort of mistake is to reflect on it, figure out what not to do, what could be improved and, and to then just drop it in the past and move forward. 
So it sounds like you're saying, um, even though there might be a whole bunch of things to think about or consider, if you can maybe just have this one simple mantra or a few little mantras of like, um, you know, be ready to learn, take risks, seek out opportunities, learn from your mistakes, as long as you focus on those things and obviously just generally be a nice person, um, you know, everything should be, everything should work out fine. You should be viewed as like a good employee, a good team member, and you should, uh, you know, have a good, uh, good time, a good, um, you know, employment, you know, duration, I guess, you know what I mean? Because I guess what I'm worried about is I just, I had a really bad like taste in my mouth with uh, this kind of corporate experience. Um, and And there's a lot of reasons why, again, you know, this turbulence that we were going through, but uh, I guess like I, it seemed to me like there was a lot of bureaucracy and like mm. politics and like people sort of like vying for power and like really, you know, and that's not really what, that's not what I'm about. Like I'm, we're on a team. I want to get the job done. I want to do a great job. I want to have fun. I want to build something amazing. And it, just kind of like going back to the, it's not about networking. It's about building relationships. It's not about getting attention for yourself. It's about uh, following your passion or building something that you're interested in. So for me, it's like not about acquiring power and ma- working my way up the corporate ladder, but it seemed like s- for some people it was. And um, maybe you can't really talk about that, and I respect that. Um, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that? Have you? How do you view that? Or have you heard of any stories from other people at big ten co- tech companies? Like, because um, that's something I'm really worried about. Yeah, I. You know, I, I I won't go into any sp- specific examples, but that that stuff exists. That stuff exists at um, almost every company I've worked at, and I think that's just a flaw with with people sometimes. And the best thing that you can do is to try to ride out storms and and not get entangled in it. Um, but the the most successful companies, the most successful teams. Snuff that stuff out early and and quickly. Um, okay, and, and I think that that's I think that you're going into it with a very healthy perspective. It, it shouldn't be about power. You're not going for a land grab to write code or to build features and delete other people's features. No, it's it's about making the the company better. It's about making the code base better. It's about uh, learning stuff yourself. It's about empowering other engineers who aren't as experienced to, to become better and, and have more autonomy. Um, yeah. And I, I think that um, you want to be a part of fostering an environment that is like that. And if you happen to find yourself in an environment that, that um, is kind of land grabby and power hungry, it's, it's good to just try and find another team. Um, you know, there might be, there might be companies that across the board have that that attitude i don't think that that's very healthy um there are successful companies out there that seem to have kind of crazy toxic atmospheres uh, i'm not <laughs> i'm i'm not really excited about working at any place like that so i i avoid it um and and that would be my best my biggest piece of advice is um you know expect that stuff to exist and when you encounter it to either work with it and and get rid of it or to move on and, and do something else. It sounds like when you started at Instagram, uh, you might not have had any imposter syndrome. You had a lot of experience. 
what would you say to somebody like me who, you know, I'm only <clears throat> like two years, um, you know, maybe three, depending on how you think about it, into this industry, only really one year of work, like real work experience. Have you seen anybody on your teams that, you know, have a non-traditional background like me, um, like in, in, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome and like kind of how to think about that? I mean, obviously they accepted me, you know, so yeah. I'm on the team. Um, but how, how to sort of think about that? I mean, maybe this goes back to be ready to learn, but I don't know, maybe there's something else there. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'll definitely say that I, I entered Facebook with massive imposter syndrome. And to be really honest, that has not changed <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> wow. E- even when it comes to working on on public stuff like GitHawk or IG List Kit, there are people that know things better than I do. Um, and it it was a little bit of a struggle maybe in my first year to, to realize that um, and to accept that other people are just going to know more about things. Um, but I've started to embrace it and I've started to kind of appreciate it. I mean, this gets back to the idea of, of you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You, right. you want to be surrounded by super smart people because then you're learning and you're getting better. Um, I mean, there I could probably count like a dozen instances uh, on Friday, which was the which was yesterday, <laughs> my last work day, where I looked at myself and thought, oh, how the hell did I get a job offer here? Like, <laughs> I should not be here. I am not this talented. Wow. And and that's to me, that's great. It was it was scary at first, but um, it's great. It, it's it's nice, actually, to talk with other people about this stuff too because i i often find that that most people experience this and if somebody's not experiencing this they're li- they're lying to you um i've met people on I, a really great example was i we have this running club at facebook and we're sitting down over lunch and and meeting all these new people and i'm talking to somebody across the table from me and he's asking about what i do and i'm saying oh i work on instagram ios infrastructure and his like jaw drops and he's like whoa that's so cool and i'm like well what do you do and he's like well i'm i work on our artificial intelligence team and i was like what like you're envious of me wow. like you are writing ai like that's crazy like i'm just putting together a bunch of ui views and and you think that's cool no man like you're you're teaching computers to think and i i think it's it's really all about perspective um there will always be other people that are smarter and there will always be things that we will not know and i i think that that's actually kind of a blessing and um you'll you'll certainly experience it at tinder and i my my advice is to embrace it uh, so is there anything else about big tech or working at a big tech company that you wanted to talk about? Uh, you mentioned, uh, GitHawk and IG list kit, so we can move on to that. But if, was there anything else you wanted to talk about, uh, regarding big tech, any, uh, insights or, um, anything in particular that you, uh, this was something that you mentioned you wanted to talk about and I'm sort of coming at it from my perspective of like, I'm starting at a big <laughs> tech company. So I have all the questions I'm interested in, but. It's um, it, it it's very unique. I, I think that you'll you'll encounter a bunch of very interesting problems. A lot of the things that kind of going back to what we were talking about with like Buck and compile times, they're they're very unique problems that 
code base is the size of, of Instagram or Facebook or uh, I'm sure Tinder's code base is gigantic. Um, they're, they're very unique problems and that I find that a lot of fun. You know, right. Sometimes the work can be really different from uh, startups or, or agencies where I was creating a new Xcode project every couple months. Um, instead, I've not created a new one at, at Instagram for, well, I've been there three years, so three years. Um, and so the grasp might always seem greener that you could work in some other code base and do this greenfield development. But uh, the problems that some of these big tech companies are so fascinating and, and so unique, I, I think that's one of the, the most interesting things that you'll take from it. Yeah, some of the most exciting work that I did at Farmers was because it was a bigger, you know, a bigger project or um, an existing project. Um, for instance, like some automation and some scripting. Yeah, right. And, uh, so, so I, I know what you're saying, um, and definitely excited. Um, okay, so let's get into um, contributing to open source, and uh, for instance, you know, IG List Kit and GitHub. Uh, what, what are, you know, what's going on? Tell us sort of the landscape for you right now. Uh, what are you, what are you up to in terms of open source? Right now, IG List Kit is, is more or less in sort of this maintenance mode. Um, when we released the project, it was already pretty heavily used within Instagram. And we, that's why we decided to release the, the framework as a 1.0 and not like a 0.1 or something like that. And okay. we're on version three. I think we're right now it's 3.1.1. We had to update with a, a small hotfix uh, the other week. But for the most part, we're just trying to make small iterative improvements, a couple API updates here and there, and support things like when Apple releases the newest version of iOS to make sure that we have all of the same sort of features and support and nothing regresses. But for the most part, there isn't a bunch of major development going on, which I actually think is um, uh, a rather big accomplishment that the framework is doing well. It seems to be adopted well. I know at least from my own experience within Instagram that things are going great. Uh, things are nice and stable and performant, and there aren't a bunch of huge needs uh, down the road, which I think is awesome. So I'm... I'm excited that other people will have a chance to use it and I, I definitely look forward to anybody coming and saying they need new features or new APIs and being able to work with them or their companies on adding that support into the framework. Um, are, are you getting a good response from like outside of Instagram um, from you know third-party users of IG List Kit? Are they you know coming back with uh, interesting feedback have any has anyone asked for features that you didn't even think about or yeah some of the most interesting feature requests we've gotten is are from uh, Pinterest who are currently using async display kit but decided to rewrite their their data layer kind of their UI view data bridging layer with IG list kit so they're using IG list kit in tandem with async display kit which wow. I think sounds crazy. Uh, I mean, it, it's awesome. And because of the complexities of, of both of these frameworks, their engineering team have put in a couple asks about um, features or they needed to expose some functionality that um, we were really happy to, to make sure worked. Um, a, you know, a lot of async display kit obviously is working with background cues and threads. Um, so to make sure that 
and well, and for IG List Kit, everything is basically on the main thread. We don't do anything really with background threads at all. So we had to do a little bit to kind of make sure that these two frameworks could play nicely together. And it, it seems like they've pulled it off because I know they're shipping it, which is awesome. For those that don't know, Async Display Kit is what? Async Display Kit is a framework that Facebook initially built to power their app paper, which was kind of like an experimental rewrite of, of Facebook, which uh, was very gesture driven, lots of animations. And this is back when I think the iPhone 4 was kind of like the top of the line device and they were achieving like 60 frames per second scrolling and crazy stuff. Um, wow. So it's a, it's a really amazing framework that uh, the, the core principle is that it does all of its sizing and, and drawing on background threads so that the main thread is free to handle touches and, and swipes and scrolls and stuff. Wow. Uh, okay, so then moving on to uh, GitHawk. Um, you know, this is something that's really, really personal for you. You've been really excited about talking about it a lot. Um, we already talked about kind of the the background of, um, you know, where GitHub comes from. Uh, it was originally called Free Time, right? Yeah, that's right. It was the worst name possible. <laughs> uh, why did you decide to change it to GitHub? Where does that come from? Well, I originally called it Free Time because I thought it was this funny play on um, people saying, wow, you've got free time to work on open source. And typically in the open source community, people only are working on the stuff in their quote unquote free time. Um, So I thought it was kind of a fun name. The problem with it was that it was completely undiscoverable in the app store. Um, If you searched for the word free time, you could not find the app. So you would have to do the the full like free time, uh, an app for GitHub notifications, blah 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 string, or find it in the autocomplete in order to find the app, and it was terrible. So it, after I launched, I received this feedback too, where people saying I don't get it, it's hard to find, it doesn't make sense, and finally something clicked where I thought, boy, I just need to scratch that name and come up with something new. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and read a bunch of blogs about picking an app name, um, kind of learning about App Store search engine optimization, um, dealing with keywords and stuff. And I got this kind of really simple framework that I needed to have an app name that was unique enough that you could search for only the name and the app will show up in the top two kind of the first page. Um, And I also wanted to be able to get the Twitter handle or a variation of the Twitter handle and the website. Some great feedback that uh, I think it was Daniel Jalcut had suggested to me on Twitter was that this free time, I keep using the hashtag free time app. Well, he can't search for that hashtag and figure out what the app is or how to download it. He said, well, you should just get free time app like the Twitter handle and link to that whenever you're talking about it. Um, So I did that. But then when I was when I went to rename everything, I thought, well, I have to get a good Twitter handle. Um, And so I did a bunch of experimenting, uh, brainstorming. I have like pages of my notebook filled with all these random, horrible ideas. The one I got really attached to was um, called Git Box 
which if you search the iOS app store, there's nothing called Gitbox. And I thought I struck gold. Uh, Gitboxapp.com was available. Gitboxapp, the Twitter handle was available. But as soon as but. I went to register this, uh, I went and I thought, well, what if Gitbox.com is available? And I go to Gitbox.com and it turns out it's a Mac app for GitHub and or <laughs> I think just Git. And I felt like such an idiot that I got so excited <laughs> to claim this name and it was totally taken and it was in the same space, essentially. Um, so I kind of went back, I, I scratched that and went through a bunch of iterations um, and I finally landed on this idea of, of birds. Um, and that was kind of born from the thinking about like tweeting or chirping, getting notifications and after writing out like five or six different bird species, I wrote down the word hawk and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's it's a hawk is circling above. It's keeping an eye on things and yeah. it's very beautiful. It's very quick. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's cool. And I just yeah. slapped it on the end of, of Git and I was like, Git hawk. That kind of rolls off the tongue. It, it yeah. plays well with GitHub. And I searched. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. The the G and the H kind of, <laughs> you know, you get this yeah. nice sort of like pattern matching. Um, yeah, totally. And I searched the app store. There's there's nothing for GitHawk. I was like, sweet. I go to Twitter. Uh, the handle GitHawk is available. No, like GitHawk app. And I was like, oh, my God, getting excited. Now I just need that website. And lo and behold, GitHawk.com was available for $10 a month. And I just like, I, I just like screamed. I was so nice. happy that it, it was like the trifecta of a interesting name um, available on the app store. Twitter was available and the website was available. And I, I nabbed all three and uh, spent the next week building icons and changing website stuff and, and pushing everything out. Yeah, I mean, that's hard. Like trifecta, grand slam, what's the other one? Kentucky Derby, when you get all the, anyways. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? It's like hard to find all that together. It is. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like you really lucked out with a great name. I, I did. I got very lucky. Uh, it sounds like you're very strategic and meticulous and, and, and sort of methodical with um, some of the work that you do, or perhaps all of it. For instance, I remember... You were posting a lot about um, your, uh, let's just call it competitive research, and you would download the app, it sounds like, yep. and go through the features, and you would post on Twitter like, okay, it has this, it doesn't have that. Um, do you do that with all the things that you work on, like very meticulous and methodical? I, I do to a degree. Um, I really don't like to half-ass things. Uh, if I'm going to do something, I, I want to do it really well. Um, if it come, if it's the design of something, if it's features, if it's performance, um, this is one of the key reasons I, I can't really get on the like the the auto layout self sizing cells bandwagon because it's it's just not perfect enough for me. I'd rather go through the the weeks of writing my own text kit code by hand than than deal with these little jumps and stutters and hiccups. Um, I'm I'm very much a, a perfectionist. Uh, and, and that that is very much manifesting itself with this GitHawk app. Uh, yeah, I I didn't necessarily need to do competitive research, but I wanted to kind of understand 
Um, what else is out there? What are what are people doing, and and what do people like? So, is this your first um, Swift app, like from you know from scratch? Um, it is. You know that that you've released. I guess that I've released. Too. Yes. Yeah. It's it's the first Swift app that I've ever released. So you spend a lot of your time um, working in Swift, uh, in Objective C, you know, with um, you know everything in Instagram and IG List Kit. Uh, what has been the most surprising thing for you now, um, completing and, and maintaining um, a Swift app, you know, coming from Objective C? Um, I I really enjoy the language. I I'm kind of falling in love with it, um, but at the same time. Sometimes it's, it's safety is kind of irritating to me. And sometimes there, there are some instances where I just want the app to crash because I know Mm. I've hit this weird state that I should never be in. And without the crash, it's really hard for me to get signal that something's wrong. Um, the, the way I've been picking up and, and writing a lot of my Swift is, is using a lot of guards and if a certain value doesn't exist or a certain state uh, or the the app or view controller or something is not in the correct state i'll guard and return early return nil or something like that and i would get into these situations where a certain value didn't exist in a networking response and the app like a cell just wouldn't show up or a label Mm. was missing and I would just look at the app and I would look at Xcode and just kind of tell myself, boy, I wish this just crashed because mm. it would crash right on that line of code. I'd have breakpoints and exceptions enabled and I would know what's wrong. But now it's just yeah. returned early somewhere of my hundreds of early returns and I have to go digging into what could possibly be wrong. And I've changed my strategy a little bit and to instead of returning early, I'll actually put fatal errors everywhere. Right. So I get a, yeah. I get a crash, I get an exception with maybe a little bit more uh, descript reasoning about what's wrong. And has that uh, been a, a good enough solution so far? It's been pretty good though. The, the other really nice thing about Swift is it, it doesn't really crash. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been pretty happy to see the app go up and, and get, uh, a couple dozen legitimate downloads a day, um, and the the crash rate's basically zero, which is wow. uh, it's a very simple app. So I don't want to give myself any credit there. Really, um, I, I I owe most of that to Swift. I think the optionality of it um, and uh, the efficiency of it, I think, is really great. What has been the like the most challenging or odd thing about coming from Objective-C to Swift? Um, was there anything, besides obviously you were mentioning the crashing, was there was there anything that you just got really excited about or was there something that you took you a moment to kind of wrap your head around because you always did it one way in Objective-C? Well, I'm certainly having a love-hate relationship with Xcode uh, and Swift, um, specifically with debugging. I... I'm used to uh, Objective-C's almost like 30 years of, of tools. 
LLDB, well, what was uh, GDB, Xcode, and all of the awesome tools that exist with that, um, and being able to use LLDB to peek into um, objects, use key value coding to kind of print um, you know, child objects and properties, and, and really kind of being able to almost Objective-C or use Objective-C as like a scripting language. Um, and Swift's strictness uh, it really kind of makes debugging a huge pain because you, you just can't do that. Um, not only can you not do that, but the tools themselves, I find they'll often crash or stall or print garbage data. So when I'm extremely comfortable pausing the debugger, inspecting app states uh, or objects or what's going on with Swift, I find it incredibly difficult. And I, I know part of that is just a unfamiliarity with the language, but the, the bugs with the tools and the slowness of, of the tools and the compiler sometimes can be, can be really frustrating. I wonder if this is something that's on the Swift open source radar and uh, this is something that can be fixed over time and it's you know, partially due to the um, immaturity of the, the language and the third-party tools or, or other tools uh, around it. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I I think the the language itself is still so young. Um, it, it's hard for me to even look at Swift and think that this is a language in a like 1.0 state. Uh, the lack of ABI stability is a huge to me a huge flag that says this language is still budding, uh, which I think is great. And I, I think it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what Swift will be in, in five years from now. Um, but I, I think it's got some ways to go. And I, I don't have any doubts that it's going to get there. Yeah, in terms of like ABI stability, especially for someone like you that's shipping libraries, I've read that that's really important. Um, it is, yeah. Um, it's one of the core reasons that I, I don't think that uh, for an app like Instagram or Facebook, we'll, we'll be using it and, or shipping it seriously, um, you know, anytime soon. So are you excited to hear that one of the main goals for Swift 5 is um, a road to ABI stability? I think it's like partial stability. I am. I think I read. Yeah, I was really excited to see that. Uh, going uh, back to GitHawk, what was the most surprising thing for you in terms of like, not Swift, but, you know, making an open source project that was so personal, putting it out there, um, at least I saw mostly on, on t Twitter, uh, what, you know, what was the most surprising thing for you in terms of like how you felt or how the community responded or something surprising that happened through the process? I really had to learn to let my guard down and and not take things, criticism uh, or comments or, or what may be personally. At, at first, it was very easy to to look at people saying that the, the name free time wasn't good and take that as a personal slight against my ideas and, and my vision. Um, and what I've kind of evolved into is to more use the community to, to generate ideas and to get me thinking outside the box and to look at things with different perspective. Um, for instance, I, I was dead set on the app only being a single view where you could look at notifications and then tap them and view the issue or the pull request. Um, but we had somebody submit a pull request that added a tab 
tab bar view controller, added search, added all this other stuff. And it really got me thinking like, oh, wow, like this is kind of great. Like now that I'm using this feature that somebody wrote, it's awesome. And when I first saw the pull request, I kind of rolled my eyes and was like, no, I don't think I should bring this in. But now I'm hooked and I can't imagine the app like not having this. And I think it's been really important for me beyond the scope of just GitHawk, but to to learn to kind of like open myself up to the community, to strangers, really, to people that I haven't even met and to, to listen to their ideas or to internalize their ideas sleep on it and and see how that changes the way I think about things. And that seems like it's getting more towards like real true open source as opposed to it being open source and you're just the main, con, you know, one contributor. Now I'm looking and there's eight contributors um, and that turns into something, uh, has the chance to turn into something like, for instance, Fastlane, you know, um, you know, not necessarily that it will or it has to, but I guess what I'm saying is that's how it ends up there, right, is is bringing people in, appreciating their ideas, learning from them and contributing and allowing them to contribute. Exactly. And, and one of the most fun conversations we had was on an issue talking about how we could actually do some sort of growth hacking with the app. How could we increase app store download numbers? Um, and this was one of the kind of catalysts for, for renaming the app, but to actually post a bunch of ideas and get feedback and have these people jump in and out and say, well, I think we should do this. And I know you said we should do a, but we should do B instead. Um, and it, it became sort of this fun social experiment of like, let's build an app together. I don't need to be the gatekeeper of this app. Like we can all kind of do this together. And I I'd love to eventually even be able to like automate download reports uh, engagement reports and all of that stuff. So that this is kind of like, I'd, I'd love for it to just be an, an open book. Um, I've, I've had suggestions from people to try and monetize it, but I, I, I just don't have any interest in that. I, I think it's as soon as money comes into play, then we're dealing with, um, transactions and laws and all this stuff. And I'm kind of more excited to just see like where the community, uh, can take this. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, what are you up to now with GitHawk? What are you looking towards? Uh, I'm looking at your Twitter and I see that you're still, you know, shipping new features. Um, you know, and I know you were working on the design. You just got the app icon. I saw you posted a little um, GIF of <laughs> you doing the app icon. So what are you, what's looking forward uh, for GitHawk? I know it's really um, important for you. Uh, you've been working on it a lot. So that's why I'm curious. I have a, a couple features planned. Um, I, I've imported this this pull request that has search on it, and we're kind of polishing this up now. It's it's gonna go out in the next couple of weeks. It, it's a really cool feature. But now that we have the tab, there there's three tabs at the bottom, and I I feel kind of like OCD about it, and I I want a fourth tab to balance <laughs> it out. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm thinking about building a like a profile sort of tab so that you could view your your own profile stats and view your own more like a, a quick link to your own repositories and stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Well, that's awesome. Any I, any plans for maybe an iO a watch OS um, app or is the notifications kind of enough uh, or a Mac app, anything like that? Watch OS might not happen just because I, 
I don't know if I really use my watch that much and, and I'm kind of the, the app's biggest consumer. Right. Um, I do have some plans for, for like a today extension, um, or like a home screen extension, maybe some 3d touch features. Um, some things like that I think would be kind of fun to, to mess with. Awesome. Uh, all right. So we're well over. Um, there was another big topic that uh, we said maybe we would talk about, which is Swift and Objective-C interop um, and uh, supporting Swift in a uh, open source project that is 100% Objective-C. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that you want to share? I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, do, you, do you have any quick sh- thoughts you want to share on that? Or what is that really about? Well, I think the... The, the biggest challenge with that was really just, well, there, there was kind of this kerfuffle with other frameworks that were written in only Swift or only Objective-C getting released and not really you know, expecting the interop to work and it, it didn't really work. And we really wanted to avoid that. And obviously our framework had to be entirely Objective-C. It's actually Objective-C and Objective-C++ um, because of, of, the uh, because we shipped the framework inside of Instagram but we knew that the community was moving with Swift we knew that Swift was the future and we didn't want to release kind of a dead on arrival framework Um, so we really took it upon ourselves to make sure that the app worked with Swift so we wrote all of our documentation in Swift we wrote all of our examples apps in Swift and that was a pretty big learning experience Um, the framework was originally 100% 100% Objective-C, no interop. And as soon as we imported it into a Swift framework, it was kind of a uh, big learning experience to actually make things work. Uh, but we learned a lot about the way the Swift compiler worked, how to optimize stuff, um, and and how to also... We, we also didn't want to lie with our APIs. Um, we didn't want to return something that was non-optional when there's a slight chance or there are certain conditions that you could ever be in where the object is optional. And so we would write the API as an optional um, so that, you know, at some point this thing could be nil. Um, And it makes some parts of the API a little cumbersome, but we've definitely found ways to work around that and to encourage other people to work around it. So I'm not exactly sure how this works. Uh, You write, your framework, um, which you then want to open source, you write that in Objective-C. But as a Swift developer, I want to be able to, you know, use it in my Swift project. What, what's like the, how do you do that? Are you actually writing a Swift API? Is there some code gen uh, that you just run? Or how does that work exactly? So the, the Swift compiler will actually take care of all of this for you. Um, okay. If you're using something like CocoaPods, it will take care of bridging uh, adding the Objective-C files to kind of this bridging header, uh, which will then be imported for all of your Swift project. Uh, we've done some special stuff like marking our, our public APIs with uh, nullable and non-nullable so that you can know uh, that this sort of bridging compiler will will mark stuff as uh, optional or non-optional. Okay. But we've even done some things where we, we strip so the entire project is IG list kit and we have objects like IG list section controller, but having that sort of two, um, uh, two letter prefix isn't very swifty. 
So we actually mm. accepted a pull request that um, at that bridging compile time strips the IG off of all of our classes. So you use list section controller and list adapter, and it, it feels a little bit more swifty. Wow. So how do you do that? Is that like a build phase run script or something like that? How do you get into that moment when it's compiling and creating that sort of bridging API? How do you do that? There are actually these uh, Swift annotations that you can add to your Objective-C files that basically say in Swift, use this name instead. Oh my so gosh, So we wow. have uh, IG list adapter, or, you know, in Objective-C, it's at interface, IG list adapter. And then right above that, we can do, um, I can't remember if it's NS Swift name, uh, parenthesis, list adapter. So that when oh my gosh, the bridging so compiler cool. works, it ends up as list adapter. And um, we don't do this, but you can actually even do that with um, with some of your your methods. You can actually say that this method uh, is called something different in Swift. And I think you can go yeah. as far as to provide a Swift implementation of a certain function. Um, so instead of calling this method on this object, you would call this extra Swift method that you could be written that you could write that is only included in the Swift version of your framework. Mm, wow, that's interesting. And I want to go down the road of asking why you'd ever want to do that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, maybe we'll save that for some other time. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like you don't really have to do that much in order to, you know, build your library in Objective-C and access it in Swift. And that's really cool. I mean, I've done the bridging header thing before, you know, where at, at, for instance, at Farmers, we had a couple Objective-C libraries and, um, you know, I had to deal with this bridging header but I didn't know it was that easy. It sounds like you only had to do a few things to you know, make it kind of the way you wanted. Yeah, we didn't have to do a whole lot. I, I, think, um, I think we just had to be very thoughtful with the design to make sure that we weren't designing something that when you took it to Swift just made absolutely no sense. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it just goes to show like the amazing work that... Um, I don't know if that's the Xcode team or the Swift team, you know, that they're doing. Yeah, um, definitely. So shout out to them and thank you so much. Uh, okay, Ryan, we have come to well over the end. Uh, I just have a few more quick things I want to ask you. Uh, and this is rapid fire. So just kind of the first thing that comes uh, to your mind. All right. Uh, number one, what drives you? Um, I, to me, it's the, the ability to help people. I, I want to use technology so that people can use their phones to get stuff done faster. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what do you do when you're not programming? One of my favorite hobbies, I actually have a pilot's license and oh, wow. I haven't flown, um, in a little, in a little while, I actually haven't flown since we moved to New York, but, um, I'm looking to get back into it. It's a, it's an expensive hobby, but it's, it's exciting. It's uh, really incredible. I want to do that. Um, Josh Hinman, we've interviewed him, um, and also I think Nacho or Javier Soto. Yep. Or I think they both they he, both have their licenses. Are, are those two different people? Yeah. Okay. What are the, who are the two people I'm thinking? Yeah, of? you're thinking of Nacho and uh, Javier. They're they're brothers. Okay. Oh wow! But are they also programmers? Yep, both of them. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. And they're both pilots. That's awesome. 
yeah, I've all, I've heard that it is uh, expensive, but super fun. And I mean, it seems like it, if you can afford it, it provides like a certain amount of freedom in a way. Like you can just kind of fly yourself. You know, it's just super yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, desktop or uh, or laptop? Definitely laptop. Standing or sitting? Mostly sitting, but I'll stand if I can. Git from the command line or from the GUI? Definitely command line. Vim or Emacs or some other text editor? Vim for life. Nice. And do you get pretty into, like, you can do a lot of different, um, you know, all the different crazy shortcuts that you can do to, like, move text around and all Oh, that. yeah, definitely. Wow, that's cool. Uh, do you have any, like, plugins that you use with Vim? Um, or does it not really work like that? I know Emacs, like you do plugins, or did you used to have the Xcode Vim plugin? I tried that for a little bit, but I, I think I just got way too used to using Xcode with a with a mouse. I, I do have a couple plugins for Vim. They're they're pretty boring though. Syntax highlighting, being able to surround words. Um, probably the most useful is being able to browse uh, to other files and and open them kind of within the same session and then bounce between files. It sounds so primitive because we're used to like having different tabs open in a text editor and going between them. But in, in Vim, it's actually a little bit more complicated. You have to have file buffers and all this stuff. Yeah, my Vim, um, I, I can sort of DD and like <laughs> maybe undo. And uh, I can like, I think, O it to like open yeah. like, a new line. <laughs> so it's very minimal, but... Um, I take pride in my ability to resolve Git uh, rebasing conflicts in Vim, yeah. especially in like a PBX project nice. file. Yeah, I'm pretty proud. <laughs> um, so you just brought up a really cool rapid fire question, which is mouse or trackpad. Oh man, what a good one! So I use a mouse when I sit at my desk with my laptop plugged in. Uh, but if I'm anywhere else, it's going to be a trackpad. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, do you happen to have a MacBook Pro with Touch Bar? I do. Do you, So when you're at work, then it sounds like you don't really do... Wait. So do you use an external keyboard when you're at work and you're plugged in? I do. I use an external keyboard, mouse, and oh, okay. uh, monitor. I actually close my laptop, so I only have the one screen. Ah, so you're not touching that bar very much. Uh, I actively try to avoid it. <laughs> uh, that's funny that's funny okay um tabs or spaces <laughs> <laughs> definitely spaces nice okay is objective c like does it de objective c and like xcode default to spaces good i, I feel good like question. swift objective c i feel like swift and xcode like defaults to tabs but i'm not sure and i learned that like spaces it's like in c plus plus it's all about like two spaces or you know, yeah. really small spaces. Oh, yeah. So if you like look at open source Swift, it's like really tight. <laughs> um, but that has like purpose and reason, right? Like back in the day, like literally like you had to, like you, you were limited with your bits and that's why like things are named really short. Like uh, Nathan, my um, previous coworker told me about like file extension names. Yep. And like, uh, I can't remember why, but like it's literally because like you were fighting for like bits, like you couldn't use any more bits. Um, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Facebook's even done a bunch of crazy stuff. I think they've written about to to reduce binary size and and uh, you know if you have really long class names, the that actually takes up binary space uh, in your code due to the way Objective C oh, wow. works. So they try and move stuff to C functions or shorten things uh, with like precompiler steps. It's 
Yeah, super interesting. Mm. Wow. Okay, uh, tests or no tests? Definitely tests. Are, I looked at your pod file today, and I didn't see any pods in, uh, you know, pointing to your test target. Uh, but I didn't actually look to see if you had any tests. Are there any tests for GitHawk, or are you thinking about it? There's a few. Yeah, I know I answer nice. tests so so quickly. It sounds like I, I write tests for everything. With with GitHawk, there are a few for some kind of really basic things that were hard to get right. Um, IG ListKit is like ninety seven percent covered with unit wow. tests. Um, we have, and is that sorry? Go I think ahead. we have more lines of code in our tests than we do in the actual framework. Wow. And is that using XC test case, quick and nimble or something Facebook created? Uh, XC test case and uh, OC mock. OC mock. Cool. Okay. All right. Last couple uh, things. Uh, Twitter bio. I feel like pretty software engineer, Instagram, creator, GitHub, pilot, writer. Okay, cool. Are you still writing much at Ray Winter? I'm not. No, unfortunately, I'm not. I still keep in touch with everybody, but the uh, the day to day has gotten a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, you're, I know you're pretty busy. Um, your profile picture, really nice photo. I'm seeing that brick wall in the background. <laughs> Where you. was this taken? Uh, we did this recently. Um, my my wife owns a, a small fashion boutique online. And during one of her photo shoots that I was helping her out with, um, I, I asked the, the photographer if I could slip in for a quick new headshot. And she said, sure, of course. And she snapped a couple and, and this one she sent me and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I went and redid that's a great all one. of my like online presence with this photo because I love it. Nice. I need to do this. This is a, this is a good one. And I love the story. Um, I'm really happy to hear about the uh, work that your wife is doing. And also on her website, it says that you're involved as well in terms of like the packaging and shipping and stuff. And that's really cool. My wife uh, oh, I don't know if I've mentioned this, actually. Uh, over my sort of break, I got married, too, um, in July, July oh, congrats. 7th. Uh, yeah, I went to, well, I guess maybe I did talk about this on my last episode. In any case, she's sort of like a stylist and really loves fashion, and she, you know, she might be heading in a direction that's similar to your, your wife in terms of like an online store. So it's really cool. inspiring to see that you guys are working together on that. Um, Style in motion. Um, tell us about your Twitter banner. It's like a plane. That must be you, I guess, flying over a farm or something? That was me, yeah. Uh, this was taken back in Ohio. Uh, a friend of mine that I was giving kind of like an aerial tour took this as we were landing. Uh, there was like a cornfield near the the end, one of the ends of the runway. And so she took this as we were on approach and sent it to me, and I was like, that's perfect. Yeah, super cool. Uh, okay, last, um, uh, let, let's see, how do I want to do this? Uh, last, yeah, last thing, one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. Hmm. I think, for me, playgrounds have been, uh, like, absolutely critical. Uh, it, it gives me a space that I can kind of, mess around and hack and play with things and as soon as they're they're working i take all the code copy it and then paste it into an actual file and then i will actually write a unit test to give me sort of the same results that i saw in the playground yeah i, I thought that was really curious actually when i saw the source code for GitHub, i saw that you had shipped you know a few playgrounds like actual the playgrounds are living in the source code and i wondered about that 
Um, there were a few, uh, if I can take a look, or if you recall some of them. Yeah, I think a couple um, of them. TextViews Playgrounds, GitHub API Playground. Yep. Yeah, just learning some basics of, of how to connect to the GitHub API. Uh, I think there was one where I was trying to figure out how to show um, a, like a popover over. I wanted on, on GitHub, they've got this abbreviation for dates where it'll say like something was committed four days ago, but you can hover over it and it'll give you the exact timestamp. Um, and so I wanted that feature because I really like the the brevity of the like well, two days ago or whatever and then being able yeah. to see the exact time. So in the app, it'll say two days ago, but then you can long press on a label and it'll give you a little popover of what the actual timestamp is. And so one of my playgrounds was me just kind of messing around with that and trying to get it right. I think that's great advice. Um, utilize playgrounds. I've seen a lot of work, people talking about uh, prototyping in playgrounds, doing UI work in playgrounds, um, even test-driven development in yeah, playgrounds. Yeah. I think uh, Brandon Williams and Chris Eidhoff, I think, talk a little bit about that. Uh, you just made me realize something, and again, I'm sorry to keep you, but I, I promise. Last thing, <laughs> uh, you just reminded me of something. Um, what did you end up solving for your markdown? I believe you had some desire to find a markdown oh, solution. Boy. Yeah. So I ended up using uh, actually an old friend of mine, Matt Deephouse, um, who's worked at Apple and GitHub. I think he's at American Express now. Um, he wrote a library called MM Markdown, which is really a, a markdown parser that has like a, a GitHub flavored option uh, in its parsing. And this parser can take uh, a, a markdown string and then the, the point of the library is to convert it to an HTML string that you can then dump into a web view. But I actually wanted the, the kind of middle layer, the, the AST of this markdown, and be able to take the abstract syntax tree and do my own parsing of that tree and turn that into string models and image models and table models. Um, and then split using IGListKit, display that in natively uh, in, in the app. So I'm using a mix of this uh, library to do the parsing, my own code to turn that um, AST into models, and then IGListKit to actually dynamically assemble everything in a collection view. Why is that? Like, where is the markdown source coming from? Like, why are you needing to go from markdown to um, to to the end? You know, the end goal. The markdown all comes from from GitHub issues, you know, so people can can write comments and. Uh, issues in Markdown and do all of the code and list and link uh, styling that they want. And I wanted to be able to do exactly that and show it exactly as it appears on GitHub in the app. Um, and then it, the reason I'm going on this really long winded way of doing it, because GitHub does offer, they offer both a Markdown uh, display of this data and an HTML display. So I could have just dumped this into a UI web view or a WK web view, but I am just an, a performance purist, and I don't like the the jumpiness, the the stickiness um, of all of these web views all over the place. So I decided to go take the long road and do it all by hand. So, uh, so for instance, like in the issue, like the description, you might um, post like um, a list where you can like do a checkbox. Yep. So um, that's sort of what you're supporting. That kind of uh, of markdown exactly yeah okay but then in the end would that 
let's say I did a list with like three items. In the end, would that little checkbox be actually be rendered like from Markdown? Uh, I don't know. I actually don't even know how that really works. But like, does it does it does it turn into like a some UI kit element or? Like in GitHub? So I, I transform uh, all of the, I take the Markdown abstract syntax tree and I turn that into a bunch of, all of the text turns into a bunch of uh, MS attributed strings with a whole bunch of rules and stuff oh. to do the styling. But then I take the attributed strings and I use um, TextKit to actually render the contents into really just a bitmap. Um, so it's, I, I call this method like, um, Oh, what is the name? Layout manager draw glyphs with range in rect or something like that. And it returns what's essentially just like an image. Um, and I do a bunch of fancy caching so that I you don't have to constantly redraw these images. So, I mean, I can see, for instance, like it being bold. That can be like an NS attributed uh -huh. string where you apply some sort of uh, bold attribute. But what about like the checkbox? What is that? Is that a, can that also be an NS attributed string? So I don't fully support the check boxes specifically yet. feature request I know. I've, I've got <laughs> probably a dozen issues open for it I'm gonna get to it i think those will oh be emoji gosh. actually and i'm just gonna cheat because i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spend a, a week or two trying to figure out how to insert little custom images or glyphs or whatever yeah yeah okay so i think i understand what you're doing you know how you're going from markdown to then um, and a distributed string with this abstract syntax tree uh, sort of in between, which is really cool. I didn't, I've never seen that, what that looks like, because um, I actually don't really know how Markdown works, although I use Markdown quite a bit. Okay, thank you so much. I'm going to end it there. Um, thank you for coming on the show today, for sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, born in uh, the Midwest, born and raised in the Midwest, uh, you know, fell in love with programming early on with your TI-83 calculator, <laughs> uh, you know, doing your you know, little graphings and, and storing these programs to make your, you know, your math class easier, and then building your own little game called toilet paper or something. What did you call it? I actually it? don't remember what I, I called it. It might have been toilet wars or something like that <laughs> what do we call it oh we call it teeping a house what do we call it when we go teeping yeah, a house toilet teeping? papering want to go teeping okay totally so you build this game you had a lot of fun with it you started sharing it with some friends um but then it had some bugs and then maybe it wasn't worth it anymore but you fell uh, you know you you started playing a lot of games with your new computer you know starcraft uh, and you decided that you wanted to make games. And so you went to uh, college and studied programming. And then you had this co-op for a year and a half that, you know, like an internship. And you randomly got an assignment to, I think, update an iOS mm -hmm. app uh, around iOS 3. And uh, you, your friend had an iPhone, but you had a BlackBerry. And you saw this iPad at the library. And Around that same time, that's when you sort of fell in love with mobile and the power, uh, and, and you decided that you know this is something that you want to do, and you came up with this idea for the longboarding app, and you spent a year on it, and then you really decided you fell in love with iOS programming. You had a few jobs in between. Eventually, ended up at Instagram, um, you know, working in California, then opening up, helping. It sounds like you were pretty involved helping open up this office yep. in New York. And uh, working really uh, hard on uh, you know, getting IG List Kit 
created and then in shape enough to open source. And then for the past, it seems like maybe six months, maybe, or a year, you've been really hitting it hard with uh, GitHawk and having a lot of fun with it. Um, and, you know, and, and now you're here. And, and, and thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It was a real, real pleasure. Thank Absolutely. You. Well, well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, and before I forget, uh, where can people contact you online? So the best place to reach me is probably going to be Twitter. Uh, you can find me at underscore Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Nystrom, N-Y-S-T-R-O-M. Um, you can reach out to me, send me a DM. Uh, be warned, I, I tweet about GitHawk kind of a lot, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it's interesting. Right on. Okay, thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks again. Thank you. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Swift.